Human beings are uh, interesting. Um, we, we have some good things about us every once in a while, you know, but then also we have a tendency to, uh, to do some pretty messed up things. But as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talks about some of those messed up things that we do. Some of those things that we do that uh, would be against the will of God, some of, the, some of the things that we do that would make the world worse. But then after that, and we've just spent several weeks talking about some of those things like revenge and lying and lust and adultery and all of those types of things. Those are the types of things that harm others, that uh, devalue the image of God in another person. Those are some of the things that we do that are, that are obviously and recognizably wicked, and they're pretty common. When you get to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is continuing the Sermon on the Mount. And he's continuing, I think, to talk about some ways that human beings are called to a higher level of righteousness. But he talks about things that are not obviously in any way wicked. In fact, he talks about some things that would ordinarily be considered to be good things. Things that we think you should do, like giving to the poor. That's, I mean, very few people are against that idea. Uh, giving to the poor is something that Jesus believes is a fundamental part of being a disciple of his. He also talks about praying. He also talks about fasting. And some of these things that we would consider to be uh, demonstrations of a righteous and godly life. But what he goes on to say is sometimes not only do we do uh, wicked things— Sometimes even when we do the good things, we as human beings have a tendency to do those for the wrong reasons or to uh, bring a little bit of that wickedness with us in our hearts into the good things that we do so that they are done not to make the world better, not to serve others, not out of love for God, but out of the hope that people may see us And instead of glorifying God, give us the glory. It's all of a sudden we've turned even good things into selfish acts that will benefit my own reputation. Or that will cause other people to look at me and want to follow me. And this becomes something I think, especially as Christians, we should be very careful about. Because we we understand that... um, We understand that we shouldn't go around hating people, insulting people, being wicked, adultery, lust. Like, we understand that those things are bad. But we also understand that there's, like, we have a a church family. And while me praying in front of the world might not impress anyone or might not get anyone to think all that well of me, sometimes we can think, hey, we have a people here around us who value prayer, who genuinely value generosity. Sometimes they even fast. And, and if I can do those types of things and show how good I am, then that might not get me many promotions or stuff out in the workplace. But here, among these people, I could start to be valued a little bit. Maybe people will start to think well of me. Maybe I can, you know, make my way up through the ranks and I can start getting some respect. Maybe I can start getting more opportunities. Maybe I can start getting some more uh, authority or, or power in the church. And all of a sudden, people will use the churchy things that we do as a way to impress the other people of the church in, in the hopes that maybe little by little, incrementally, you can make your way up to becoming one of the important people at the church. And you can draw uh, honor and respect from people by the way that you act righteously. Jesus says that's not actually all that rare. In fact, I think if we were to look at the religious world around us, and if we're completely honest, 
If we look into our own hearts, we might even occasionally see that type of thing happening. We might see that type of thing happening. Maybe we don't sit there and strategize, how could I become the most important person of the church? We're not that obvious about it. And we don't, uh, you know, we're not straightforward in our plotting or anything. But I bet there are times when you're about to teach a Bible class or preach a sermon or uh, do an act of generosity or show up at the building to help with something or lead a prayer that your thoughts might be somewhat mixed. Maybe there is a thought of, I want to do something good, I want to honor and glorify God, and I want to help serve others. But maybe there's also that thought that I want to word this just right so that people will, uh, will genuinely appreciate it. Or, I've been complimented on my prayers before. I want to make sure I live up to that standard with the next one. And so there's a little bit of pressure to think about the way that people will view you as you get up to pray or to preach. Or, I sure hope people see me working hard there at the building so that they'll know that I'm someone who takes my faith seriously. There's all of these things, and none of those things are bad. It's not bad to serve the church. It's good. It's not bad to lead a prayer or to offer offer worship or something like that. Like, all of those things are good. But whenever there's eyes on you, there's that pressure to impress those eyes— And Jesus is, again, trying to transform us from the inside out. And it's pretty easy to say, don't murder. Jesus then turns and says, don't be angry and don't insult. And now he's going to take things even a step further, even when you're doing good, like giving to the poor. Watch your heart and check your motives and see if we can get a full transformation from a person who just acts out of instinct to hate his enemies— To become someone who, even when you're doing good for the people less fortunate than you, you're doing it out of genuine love and concern for that person and for God. And again, like everything Jesus says, you know, starting from the thou shalt not murder to even when you're doing good to people who don't deserve it, do it from the right motives. This is a lengthy transformation that will probably have a lot of ups and downs and successes and failures along the way. But this is the road he's trying to bring us on. And it's, it's a full change of life and mindset and, and a full transformation of who we are. But it's what Jesus is calling to. So now in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to talk about doing good things, doing acts of righteousness, Jesus calls them, but doing them with pure motives and for the right reason. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. All right, so that's how Jesus begins this conversation. And as you read through the first 18 or so verses, you'll see the examples that he uses. I don't think these are uh, exhaustive. I don't think this is every act of righteousness that he's imagining. But he gives three examples. The first one is in verse 2. So when you give to the poor, that is a way of practicing righteousness. That means it's a good thing to do. But be careful when you do it that you don't do it to be noticed by men. If you look at verse 5, this is the second one. When you give to the poor, and then verse 5 says, when you pray. So that's the second one. And again, there's going to be a lot of eyes on you. Be sure that your prayer life isn't motivated by those eyes. Be sure that your prayer life isn't motivated by impressing the ears that hear. Prayer should be about something so much deeper and more personal than that. As a matter of fact... Your prayer life 
should find its deepest connection to God even when there's no eyes around, when you're in a closet, when you're by yourself, when you're in silence, and you're speaking with you and God, and no one knows that you're praying. No one hears how great of a prayer you are. No one knows that, wow, you spent an hour and seven minutes in prayer. That is impressive. Like, no one knows anything like that. It's just between you and God. That's where your prayer life will find its deepest connection and its most meaning. And then his third example is in verse 16, and this is an interesting one. He says, when you fast, when you fast, the idea is that even fasting is an act of righteousness that his disciples should be engaged in. But like so many other things, we can take a good idea and we can take a a fine practice and we can turn it into something that is uh, self-motivated or that is selfish in nature or that becomes about us or it becomes about getting uh, recognition. And so these are three areas that Jesus calls us to, uh, to really check ourselves. But again, I think these are just three examples. It's not, con- it's not uh, exhaustive, this list that Jesus gives. I bet you can come up with other things as well. You can come up with things that when you do them, you have a little bit of that tension between doing it because it's the right thing and also doing it because you know people may see you doing it. Now, the thing that's tricky about this part of the sermon is Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. This is the exact same sermon where a few uh, verses earlier in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus says, let your light shine before men. So verse, chapter 6 and verse 1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Chapter 5 and verse 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And you think, huh, how do I work that out to where the thing that I'm doing, I'm doing it before men so that they see the light of God and they see the good works that are there. But I'm not practicing my righteousness before men to be noticed by them. And I think this is where we need to develop the ability. And again, this is, this is difficult. But develop the ability to be truly honest with ourselves. We know we shouldn't lie to other people. But sometimes it is so easy to get into the habit of lying to ourselves, of deceiving ourselves, of not being completely honest and real with who we are and why we are acting as we are. Because as you continue to read chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and notice the phrase, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There are times when you will do the right thing. And hopefully the purpose of you doing the right thing is that God will be honored and glorified. But it is so easy to make that little switch where you do the right thing before men so that you can receive the honor instead of God. Uh, If you look at uh, at verse 2 of chapter 6, this first example of prayer, notice how he words it. Or sorry, not prayer, of a giving. He says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. So notice the idea of glory going to God versus honor coming to you from men. Uh, that's the distinction that this, I think this whole conversation centers around. Who is going to be glorified by what you do? Because there's a, there's a sense in which if you're living a righteous life, you can't hide it. Like, you can't, like, I don't think you're supposed to, like, like, 
so camouflage your faith that people have no idea. No, you're an embodied person in a real world and in a community. People are going to see that you live different. When you, for example, uh, don't return hatred for hatred, the person who is your enemy who hates you is probably going to notice that right? And Jesus wants that to happen. He wants the church to be the city that's on the hill, the light of the earth, the, the, the salt of the earth. He, when you refuse to insult people, when you refuse to lust and to engage in those types of conversations that maybe people have in the locker room or at the office or whatever, like when you choose to live that different kind of life, there's no way people won't notice that. But what is the purpose of you doing that? Well, as Jesus says, let your light so shine in those ways so that people will glorify God. But then he moves on to start talking about some of the ways where perhaps it's more tempting to let your light so shine before men that they may see you. You want the light to brighten up the area so that people can see God more clearly. And so often what we do is we want the light to emanate from ourselves so that people can see us. And so that's why Jesus is saying, when you give to the poor, don't make it about you. Don't, don't blow the trumpet so that people all turn their head. You know, that's, that's what he says. That's what the hypocrites do. It, throughout this section, he's going to keep making these comparisons to other people, uh, to the hypocrites or to the Gentiles or uh, to different ones. And he's done this throughout the sermon so far. He said uh, at the end of chapter 5, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? The, the logic throughout the sermon is that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, us, We are supposed to stand out. We shouldn't just look like the tax collectors. We shouldn't just look like the sinners. We shouldn't just look like the outsiders. We shouldn't look like the hypocrites. Uh, He he actually kind of includes everyone. He talks about the way the Gentiles act. He talks about the way the hypocrites act, which I think is going to be his way of referring to some of the Jewish religious leaders. He talks about the way the tax collectors act, who would be some of the Jews who were despised by the religious leaders. Like, whether you're upper or lower or inside or outside, he ends up comparing everyone in saying that you as my disciples— should stand out beyond them all. You should stand out in unique ways for the type of lives that you live. As you do that, and as the eyes begin to look on that city that's on the hill, make sure that you're not trying to receive the glory yourself, but that you are turning into a mirror that then reflects that glory back up to God and reflects the goodness of God to the world around you. That's what your call is as a disciple of Jesus. So when you give, don't blow a trumpet. Don't shout. Don't let everyone know. Don't make it about yourself. Um, I'll be honest. Jesus uses the example of don't sound the trumpet, which is kind of funny. Like, I couldn't—that would be a funny thing to do. Uh, You know, imagine seeing someone who's in need, looking around, like, hold on one second. got to grab my trumpet. Uh, And then you get it so that everyone sees. And I don't know of anyone who's done that. But almost equally as funny is the person who says, quick, take a picture— I need to post this as soon as I'm done. Uh, that might be a more modern example of it, but there are, um, you can get uh, clout, you can get recognition from people by the way that your social media demonstrates how good of a person you are. Sometimes people do it not know so much with being a good person. Maybe they do it with living an exciting life and they want to, to people to be like, whoa, they're always doing everything amazing. They're incredible. But then, yeah, I think sometimes even our acts of righteousness can become the primary focus of the way we uh, advertise ourselves to others. And to the point that there are examples of people who have been caught 
taking a picture of themselves, uh, like cleaning up a beach or doing something like that, you know, trying to show that they are taking care of the environment, that they're a good... But others have seen that they were there for like 30 seconds, as long as it took to get the picture, and then they turned around and leave. That way, you can get the praise of people without even doing the act of righteousness. Like, that's, that's more the—that's closer to the Ananias and Sapphira uh, type of action where they, they actually did do something good. They sold some of their property, but they lied about how sacrificial it was, and they tried to keep a lot of the money to themselves. They gave some of it to help others, but they lied about how sacrificial they were, and they lied about how much they made and how much they gave. And God wasn't too pleased with that because they were, I think, in violation of this very principle right here. They were doing an act of righteousness so that they could develop a reputation of being that great human being. And people care. It's hard not to care. You should care, I think, about what other people think of you, like to an extent. But you shouldn't be motivated in your service to God by uh, the self-advancement by uh, finding out ways that you can serve him so that it benefits you so that you can move up in society or move up in a congregation or move up among your peers. So Jesus uses the example of, so when you give, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's like, don't make it about how many people see it. Make it about the fact that you've genuinely helped a person who is in need and God will see it. And if you are If you truly have faith in God, if you truly trust in the goodness of God, that is more than sufficient. That's all the reward you need is knowing that God— and you know what? God actually will reward acts of righteousness. Uh, we, don't, we don't always think in those terms, uh, but, uh, but Jesus is pretty clear. God will reward acts of righteousness. He says that. He says you are going to get a reward either way. You can get your reward right now, and that reward can come in, the, in, in, in applause— you know, great job. That reward can come from people talking, wow, that's a really wonderful person. And that actually, that makes you feel good. That's a reward. He says, you can have that reward. Or you can let your father in heaven see, and he will give you a different type of reward. And I'm betting, I'm almost certain that reward is going to be much better. The reward that comes from God will be eternal in nature. And the reward that comes from God will uh, by far outweigh any momentary praise you get in the here and now. So the first example is giving to the poor. The second example he gives is praying. And he gives some really practical advice about prayer. And it's probably advice that we should take to heart. I mean, this is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is wanting us to genuinely apply these things in our prayer lives. So verse 5, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Again, you're supposed to be a light in the darkness. Don't be like the others. Pray differently. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Notice why they're doing it? I don't think it's inherently wrong to pray in a synagogue or to, to I guess, pray on a street corner. Uh, it might be a strange thing to do, <laughs> but when he adds the phrase to be seen by men, you figure out what is wrong about it. Why is it wrong that they're doing it? They're doing it to be seen by men. And that is quite different than the reason we're called to pray. And he says, when they do that, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. 
So your prayer life shouldn't get, you become a whole lot better at speaking when there's people around and you become a lot more short-winded. You don't care so much about the, when you're by yourself. I don't think Jesus wants there to be that type of, of fluctuation in it. Uh, I think Jesus wants genuine sincerity from the heart. And if you're not praying in your closet at home, you should not be praying before other people. If your prayer life isn't sincere and isn't devoted to God and isn't something that you would do in private, then it's not something you should be doing publicly. Because that, that would be a telltale sign. Uh, if you are so much more concerned about your public prayers than your private prayers, then what that might indicate is that you're praying more for the people who see you rather than for the God whom you love. And so don't pray in that type of way. As a matter of fact, when he says in verse 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard by their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. A couple of things are are important about what he just said. The designation of God as Father. It illustrates an intimacy in prayer in which you're speaking to God as you would speak to your father. Now, I don't know about, uh, about you all, and I, I know people's relationships with their fathers and their dads are, are different and they vary, uh, so no, nothing is universal. But when I speak to my father, um, I, I try to speak kindly because he's a person, you know, and he deserves that. I try to speak with, with some measure of respect and honor. Uh, but I also can speak to him very honestly, uh, I can speak to him sincerely. I can speak to him without trying to impress him. Uh, I, I can speak to him as a loving parent. Uh, and I think that that is what Jesus is trying to get us to see when we speak to our Heavenly Father. Um, you don't have to find the perfect words because you won't. No, no language has come up with the perfect words to address God with all of the honor and reverence and dignity that he deserves. But God still wants to hear from you. Uh, it, you're not going to be able to think of the perfect way. That's something I think about sometimes. If I have to ask somebody for something, I hate asking people for things. It's, uh, it's, it's something that, that it just makes me feel not good. Uh, and so, like, even just, like, delegating, I'm really bad, or asking for, like, just, I'm not good at that. Um, and I spend a lot of time trying to think of, okay, what is the best possible way to word this so that, uh, so that I'm not a bother, but I still get the point across, but I'm polite and respectful. Like, I try to think of all of those things. And uh, when it comes to God, before you even ask him, he knows what you need, and you won't find the perfect words. So just ask him. Just talk to him. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people can ask the question, well, I don't, I don't know how to pray. You know, I, I've never, I and it's genuine. I don't think there's a lot of ways to do it wrong if your motives are pure. <laughs> Just talk to God. And you don't even, if you don't have much to ask for, then don't ask for much. If you don't really know what to say, then sit in silence with God. You know, but, but prayer is something that is between you and your father. And so whatever it is, even if you don't like your motives, he knows your motives. So talk to him about your motives. When you read through the Psalms, you see some of the most honest and uncomfortable prayers you'll ever read because people aren't trying to hide the way that they feel from God, even when they're feeling things that maybe they shouldn't be feeling. God knows what you're feeling, and so you can tell him. And so don't, you can't, 
Don't filter your prayers so much with God when you're in private. Uh, You can speak with him completely honestly. And when you're in public, I I think perhaps the same type of thing applies. Um, When you're praying, you shouldn't be trying to impress the crowds with your many words. You shouldn't uh, be trying to make it so flowery and beautifully dignified that people will think, wow, this person must be well-educated, or wow, this person— you can talk to God in a way that is simple, is short, and that gets your point across. Jesus gives an example of—we're going to spend the whole next week's sermon on Jesus' model of prayer right here, so we're not going to talk about it much right now, but the whole thing is like less than 30 seconds, and it covers the most important things in the world. And if we take Jesus seriously on how to pray, that, that might be something to consider. It doesn't have to be long. And sometimes we think, well, if I pray too short, I don't know, people will think that's weird, or people will think that's funny. And all of a sudden, again, we're thinking about the way people view us. And prayer shouldn't be about that. Be honest. Be sincere. Be humble. And just pray to God, and I bet he'll hear you, and he'll love that you prayed to him. The third example Jesus gives is about fasting. And uh, we live in a culture that doesn't fast very much. Uh, in fact, uh, we live in a culture that thinks it's kind of a strange, or I've even heard Christians talk about, like, fasting being an Old Testament thing, or fasting being part of, like, Eastern religions or something like that. It's like, no, fasting was very much an important part of, of being a follower of Jesus, and even Jesus himself fasted. Um, but what's interesting is that people didn't seem to know It seemed like there were times and places where you could fast. Uh, And Jesus' disciples at one point are criticized for not fasting. And what's interesting about that is Jesus agrees that they—he actually says that right now while the bridegroom is with them, while I'm with them, they're not fasting. They'll fast after I leave. But what's also interesting about that is if they're doing what Jesus said right here in the Sermon on the Mount— People wouldn't know whether they were fasting or not. And so it would be a, a, a criticism without any evidence because they're not walking around trying to show the world that they are fasting. Whereas some people would do that. They would fast. And when you look at verse 16, Jesus says, Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men that they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You Again, it's kind of a funny example, uh, but it seems to be something people did. But like if they were fasting, they'd be like, all right, I'm fasting. I'm going to put on my old, most worn out clothes and I'm going to walk around grabbing my stomach and I'm going to try to let everyone know, wow. This guy has, he has self-discipline beyond anything I've ever seen before. What an incredible person. And uh, Jesus is saying, when you fast, which you should fast, and I would encourage this church uh, as individual Christians, make fasting a part of your spiritual walk with God. Uh, If it's medically appropriate, uh, then make fasting a part of your spiritual walk with God. It's something Jesus did, and it's something that he talks about his disciples doing. It's something you can see that the early church did, and it's something that if you just think about it, it's genuinely beneficial. Uh, whether you're talking about uh, time management, it frees up some of the time in your day so that maybe some of the time that you could have spent doing meal prep or cleaning or things like that, you can now spend in thought and in prayer and devotion to God. Uh, it is something that uh, when you do it, uh, you— It's almost like 
you can train your body to be a spiritual alarm clock. Because when you fast, you'll notice sometimes you don't, you're not even thinking about it. You're just doing your daily routine and you're, you, you, know, you have responsibilities or whatever and you're doing them. But then sometimes it's like boredom is really hard when you're fasting because that's when you notice it. That's all you can think about. But when you feel those hunger pains and you feel that ache, let that be an alarm clock that reminds you, okay, time to pray. Time to maybe read scripture and pray about it. Let's start thinking about God right now. Because with each of these acts, uh, giving, prayer, fasting, these are all things that are uh, in like Christian tradition are called spiritual disciplines. They train you and discipline you to be more like Jesus. Jesus is one who did these types of things. And so the more that you do them, the closer you are connected to him. But again, like anything else, do them with sincerity. Don't do them to be seen of men. It's an act of righteousness. Make it a part of your life. But do so so that you grow closer to God rather than people will grow closer to you. And I think that right here is what Jesus' primary concern is in this area of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, sometimes, sometimes even the good things we do, we can do for selfish or sinful motives. Because as human beings, we're pretty flawed through and through. We do the obviously sinful things. We do the, the things that are a little bit, uh, uh, you know, more challenging. Uh, but then we also, even when we're doing good things, can bring our sinfulness into it. And yet that sinfulness that we can find in so many areas of our lives can be washed away in its entirety by the love and by the blood of Jesus. And if there's anyone here this morning who would like to take advantage of that cleansing that he offers, you can name him as Lord of your life. You can have your sins washed completely away in uh, baptism, naming Jesus as your Lord and living for him from this point forward. If you have the need, you can talk to one of our elders uh, in that uh, room in the back, or you can come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.